We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, filth, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to another episode of the Amalcan Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'm Jason Floyd. I'm your host and the owner of Amalcan Coffee Social Club, along with my wife, Michelle. Uh, we do not have Loretta Eaton in the house today. She is feeling under the weather and called me last night and said that uh, better safe than sorry. So um, she will not be joining us, but uh, we have Becky Hansberger in the studio uh, cafe with us today. Welcome, uh, Becky. Hi, Jason. So, Good to be here. <laughs> so I met Becky a couple years ago, uh, actually quite a few years ago, I think, uh, when we were first working with the uh, state uh, right to life organization. We were trying to put together a local chapter here on the peninsula. And uh, she's an outspoken uh, activist for life and um, local community member. She's also been a participant in recent um, Liberty Action AK meetings and helping raise awareness about medical liberty and how important it is that we retain that liberty, as well as uh, how dangerous it is for us to give that liberty easily over to the government because once they control our bodies, what else is left? So... Um, I wanted to start off this show a little bit differently because uh, we still have a number of people that come into the shop and, you know, give us sort of a, a blank look when they order an espresso. And we say, is your name in the book? And uh, they kind of look at us like, well, what what book? And well, we have a membership book, and membership is free, but we have a mission statement. We have three guiding principles we ask people to agree with us on. It's sort of a conservative uh, and patriotic litmus test, you know, like the one that the government used when they tried to get all of the conservative folks out of the military. Do you remember that mm-hmm. when they were when they were you know seeing if there were any people that were sympathetic to President Donald Trump or anybody that participated in the rally on January 6th in the Capitol this, uh, this, this previous January. And, um, you know, they used a litmus test. So we figured, you know, fair is fair. We would have a litmus test as well. And uh, so the social club is all about liberty. It's all about patriotism. It's about freedom. And it's about traditional values. And one of those values is the right to life. And... And uh, so, Rebecca, um, can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with the Right to Life movement when that when that all began, sort of when you had your aha moment? Hmm. Well, I actually have a story because I had an abortion myself back uh, many years ago, over 40 years ago. But I was married and it was a local um medical clinic in Kenai, public medical clinic, that did the pregnancy test and offered the very sad news that I was pregnant. You'd think the first reaction would be, 
we you're pregnant you know to a married woman mm-hmm. but um my husband had made it clear that he did not want to be a father and we were having a very difficult time in our marriage i was a brand new christian i knew nothing absolutely nothing about abortion or the issues of life or what the bible had to say i was so brand new out of the world and so i reasoned that he doesn't want this it's not a baby yet it's a blob of tissue as i was counseled you can prevent this pregnancy from happening you know not that it has happened a baby's been conceived so i went forward with the abortion went up to anchorage to alaska regional hospital for it there were about 10 other girls we were all lined up in the hallway behind curtains being given uh, pre-abortion shots in our hips which were for causing the uterus to contract again um, to help expel the fetus as well as go back to its normal shape Mm -hmm. And I could hear girls being wheeled by one by one to the abortion room. And it was pretty disconcerting because most of them were crying or calling out for their baby. Most people don't imagine this is going on in an abortion atmosphere, but it is. There's a lot of distress, emotional distress, very tense atmosphere. And when it was my turn, I decided I would be brave And I came to the realization once I was on the table for the abortion that this was a life. It just instinctually, I don't know whether God just imparted it to me, but I became aware that this was a life being ripped out of my body and I began to shake. I couldn't control the shaking and the nurses were telling me to breathe deeply and try to relax and I knew something violent was going on. I knew that I was being violated, that life was being terminated. Nobody told me that. I didn't read any scripture. No, nobody counseled me that. I just instinctually knew that, but it was too late. The next thing that happened was that there are clear tubes that the parts and the fluids all go down when they were being sucked out. And I could see those tubes because I was fully aware. And I could see there were fleshy parts, things that looked like they had shapes, not just fluid. I I was told this was a blob of tissue. This was not a baby yet. I was about six weeks. How old were you? I was um, 23. 23. Do you remember, <clears throat> you remember the, the year and the date that that happened? It happened in... Um, early April of 1978. 1978. So when was Roe v. Wade versus Wade, uh, when did that become law? 73. But it was legal here in Alaska uh, two years before that by the state. So for for those of us who, who like the fact, like to point to the fact that Alaska is a so-called red state, Mm -hmm. it's kind of alarming that we have been a leader in something as heinous as abortion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, We're known as one of the most liberal states in the Union that uh, basically has no restrictions. 
even though it's always difficult to get a later term abortion, but it can be done. But the reason I went into my personal story is that very few people have any idea of what goes on inside an abortion clinic. To them, an abortion is some kind of simple procedure that they haven't really thought much about. And it's kind of an abstract idea of getting an abortion. Well, what's the big deal? That's why I even wrote my story for the Anchorage Daily News and published it. And uh, it was published along with some other stories. So there was a woman, um, <clears throat> I always for, have difficulty remembering her name, Abby I think. Johnson. Abby Johnson. Mm-hmm. So when we were uh, working a couple years ago to start a local chapter of Alaska Right to Life, we uh, had the opportunity to host Abby Johnson. And if I, re- if I remember her story correctly, she had been a director for mm-hmm. an abortion clinic in Texas. I, I think it was around San Antonio or something, in, in one of the larger metropolitan areas. And she had received an award from the National Right to Le- or National uh, Planned Parenthood organization for her outstanding leadership as a director. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm not going to get the statistics exactly right, but they were startling. It was something like like 10,000 plus abortions a month or something they were doing through that clinic. 10,000. There's you know, 10, about 1,200 a day going on in a Planned Parenthood abortion clinics. So, so 10,000 in a month in one location. In, in one place in Texas. And one of those startling things that she said, which you've kind of alluded to, you have, you've stated, but not, not directly, but uh, you affirm in your story, is that it's really um, a startling statistic that a lot of the young women and women going into these clinics are actually professing, practicing Christians. That's who right. attend a church mm-hmm. and that there's there's uh, a tremendous amount of isolation and shame and and uh, prob- uh, difficulty that women who have uh, become pregnant either you know have an unwanted pregnancy or unlooked for pregnancy in marriage or outside of marriage if they've uh, you know been engaged in infidelity not been faithful to their partner and that uh, there's very little grace for them in the church or they perceive that at least, and that um, that rather than face the fact that we're all human and we all make poor choices from time to time or we don't necessarily take the precautions or act with prudence and think bad things happen, rather than recognize that and have extend grace to our fellow Christians, oftentimes the church is one of the most harsh critics and cancelers of of people mm-hmm. it's like we invented the cancel culture <clears throat> within amongst <laughs> our ranks you know it's fine mm-hmm. if a prostitute or a drug dealer or an addict comes in off the street and you know commits their life to christ and and um you know becomes a christian but holy smokes if they backslide if they have a relapse if uh they make a poor choice or you know as baby christian they're they're not um they're not found to be the sort of the wind-driven snow, you know, pure uh, congregant 
that mm-hmm. they're ostracized. They're they're um, socially not cast out, but uh, marginalized or you know made to be very uncomfortable. And and that's a, that's a sad statement about the affairs of the church in America. I can't really speak to the church in other places. I've only been to a, another church in in Haiti, and I can say that the Haitian church is a lot has a lot more grace than the churches here in the United States. But as a believer myself, when I listen to your story, you know, I too have somebody close to me that I know who witnessed or or had this a similar experience. And, you know, it's, uh, we know that when we give our lives to Christ, that his grace covers a multitude of sins. Not just the sins of our past, but the sins of our future. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that we should go on sinning or committing, mm-hmm. you know, these these negative acts against God's, you know, law with impunity, just knowing that we have our fire insurance in, and so we can just a- ask for absolution from the priest, or you know, um, just just uh, weekly go in and say I'm sorry, and then turn through the turnstile and start sinning again. Mm-hmm. I wanted to comment about um, your perspective that there's this hard hardness, you know, of uh, Christians looking down on people that have sinned, etc. I'm sure there's a lot of churches still like that, but the church has changed a lot. Since 1970? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of us, you know, that had abortions a lot before we were saved, uh, teenagers, it was hiding in our past. We were angry, guilty, mm-hmm. hiding it. And there were post-abortion groups to help women come out. That's the first part of the healing is to come out of your closet and talk about it. Um, but today I'm seeing because of such a focus on grace, which is, uh, you know, a very important part of the Bible. Right. We've also got a movement called the Progressive Church. Mm-hmm. And the Progressive Church does not really look down on anything that the Bible would call immoral, including abortion and including a lot of moral issues. And I've looked at this movement, I've looked at speakers online, and um, they basically have embraced the worldly culture within kind of a pseudo Christian context. But they've, I've noticed they've made they make they've made a Christ of their own image. Yeah, but I've also experienced um, a change in leadership. Uh, churches used to be, we used to hear a sermon every January twenty second on the um, anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Preachers generally prepared a sermon. I used to drive all over the community delivering um, brochures, nice color brochures from from pro-life organizations that they could distribute on that day. There is no interest in that going on right now. And I, I, I find that I find that startling. And and I want to echo. Uh, I want to corroborate that statement by saying, you know, that that um, I I'm close friends with Christopher Kirka, who's now a representative of the Valley um, in the Alaska State Legislature. But previously, he was, I think, he was the executive director for Alaska Right to Life. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, I remember having conversations mm-hmm. with him about how difficult it was to activate pastors 
and mm-hmm. to to get them to even talk about this issue uh, in their congregations for something as simple as hey, let's just have a day of prayer, or let's let's uh, let's unite across the nation with with our brothers and sisters in Christ and 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 really focus in on this and you know and and you think about it, I mean, probably the most important act you can do. And one of the least, I guess, intensive things you can do, depending on how you pray, is to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can intensely pray and intercess in intercessory prayer for our leaders and for our community and for these young ladies and, and the fathers. You know, the fathers oftentimes are left out of the conversation right. altogether. Yeah. But, you know, um, just just doing, doing something as simple as praying, but being um, praying in solidarity not okay. in an isolated way, but mm-hmm. in a corporate way, mm-hmm. um, in agreement. You know, it harkens back to kind of the civil rights movement with um, Martin Luther King Jr. And how they would peacefully march down the street and hold hands and sing hymns. And, you know, um, and that style of peaceful demonstration brought about tremendous change in this nation. Mm-hmm. And... But that has to start with with a spark, and that spark has to catch uh, uh, catch the fuel, and the fuel has to be fanned, and the flame has to grow, and it has to turn into a movement. And a movement doesn't happen just with one person; it, it happens with those people linked arm in arm. And so, um, you know, I, I know that there's been ongoing conversation in the Liberty Group that meets here on on Saturdays, and they'll be kind of filtering in here shortly about how to activate people across the spectrum concerning liberty. And, you know, that's something that's not often talked about, is what about the liberty for the unborn? Exactly. You know, because they they are not just a blob of tissue. Mm-hmm. They are a life. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been some exciting things happening legislatively across the country that the, the progressives are pushing hard against, but... Um, do you have some updates for us uh, about what's happening, some of the exciting things that are happening across the country with this issue? Yeah. Well, locally, we are uh, praying. Um, the 40 Days for Life is still active right now. Uh, we're extending ours a little bit longer than the National 40 Days for Life. But that is a um, an organization nationwide that stands in front of Planned Parenthood and we pray. In fact, the signs say, pray to end abortion. So it's not a, a demonstration or a protest. It's an act of prayer. We're holding the signs and we're on the spot because we can intercede and we can pray over that very ground. And it's also a witness to the staff inside that's aware that we're out there. And you mentioned Abby Johnson. She's very actively um, reaching out to other people that are in the abortion industry. Yeah, so let's let's quick go back to Abby. What's the rest of the story, as, as uh, Paul Harvey might say about her? You know, we, we talked about her being a, an abortion director and giving us this startling statistic about how many women coming through were actually per- self-proclaimed practicing Christians. Mm-hmm. Um What's the rest of the story with that? Well, Abby? the revelation for her, she actually had a couple of abortions, and one was with the pill in her own bathroom, too, which was worse than a, a clinical abortion. But she never saw the baby itself struggling. Well, one day she was called in to watch an ultrasound, <clears throat> which is something the staff 
they have a staff there to make sure all the parts of the baby are removed. And she was generally never in on that. She was out at the desk counseling girls coming in. Mm -hmm. So she was called into this room to watch the ultrasound while the abortion was taking place. And that's what changed her mind. She saw this baby struggling as the cannula was trying to tear it apart. And it was fighting for its life. So, she couldn't so believe for it. The, so. so for those of you that are maybe shocked and horrified and kind of disgusted by this conversation, you feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable. I would posit that if you don't feel uncomfortable, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. There is something wrong with you. And you need to do some deep <clears throat> inner uh, reflection and, and call on your creator to uh, give you his holy spirit's you know guidance and and a a heart of discernment to know that whatever information you've received up to this point that has you convinced that this is not a problem that needs to change Mm -hmm. and you know um we've been called out in the community here because we we proudly will put a 40 days for life sign in our window and support the right to life movement and i know your group has met here a couple of times in the past but um you know we've had pushback from people um, because of that simple statement that says, pray to end abortion. Mm-hmm. It's not rally to end abortion. It's not picket to end abortion. It's mm-hmm. not uh, sit in to end abortion. It's not attack anybody to end abortion. It's not legislate to end abortion. Mm-hmm. It's not any of those things. It's the simple act of personal supplication mm-hmm. to the almighty and asking him to intervene supernaturally mm-hmm. to help end abortion right. and part of that is winning the hearts and minds of those who are performing the abortions mm-hmm. and those who are seeking the abortions mm-hmm. or feel that they have no alternative to the abortions now mm-hmm. in our community there's another organization uh that is an alternative to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood likes to use this term, this this sort of talking point that if Planned Parenthood loses its funding, then women's reproductive health is going to be is going to be harmed. You know, their access to health services is going to be harmed. But that's not the case, is it? It's not. Uh, w- when we stand out in front, we have little gift bags. Uh, real pretty little organza gift bags that have the information about ABC life choices. And that is the alternative. I'm surprised there's quite a few people that don't know they exist, but they're on Ke- in Kenai on the frontage road next to Dan's TV. And uh, they will offer free ultrasounds. I know my daughter-in-law, whenever she's pregnant, goes in there. You don't have to be in a crisis pregnancy. You can just go in there and get a free ultrasound anytime you want. They have um, testing for STDs. They are medically certified. They're not just, you know, some counseling center like a lot of people perceive Christians set up these counseling. They're not really a medical place. This is a certified medical facility. Facility, Mm -hmm. right. And they're very professional. They're very loving. Um, Girls that go in there just can't believe how well they're treated. And their, well, cla- my, their classes. I, I, I know my, my own wife with her first pregnancy, um, I should say our first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We, we need to change the way we talk about pregnancy. 
because pregnancy does not happen without a father. Right. So our first pregnancy, uh, she became pregnant with twins. And uh, I remember going to the Mm -hmm. ABC Pregnancy Center to receive services. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was, you're right, it was a very uh, warm and inviting and friendly place. And that was the only time I was ever in there. Um, and yeah. maybe, maybe that would be good to have somebody from their organization come and talk on the podcast. I, I think that would be excellent. Um, we that are on the sidewalk discovered there were so many people that never heard of them. We went over there to meet with ABC Life Choices about two weeks ago in their conference room with their leader, Becky, and a couple other gals, specifically to talk about how to get them more known mm-hmm. in the community. Um so we one thing they need is a social media presence. Right. And um, so they're looking for a young person that b- would be willing to volunteer their time to create and monitor a social media presence. So my guess is if you are within the hearing of this podcast that you're a little more tech savvy than grandpa. Because uh, I've talked to some grandpas lately and talked about the podcast and they said, what? <laughs> And then as I explain what a podcast is, they they sort of have these sort of dull, glassy eyes that, you know, they just, they just don't, it doesn't connect. Yeah. And so, um, if you're listening to a podcast, you're probably more tech savvy than the average grandpa. (laughs) And, uh, and if you have some technological skills and the ability to, uh, do some, some campaign work and, uh, social marketing, uh, ABC Pregnancy yeah. Center is, you know, looking for that volunteer. And so um, you can contact mm-hmm. us here at the social club and I can get you in contact mm-hmm. with Becky. And Their we can number do a is 283-9062. Say that again. 283-9062. So 907-283-9062. Six two. Yeah. So that's ABC Pregnancy Crisis. And I'm going to put a little more plug in for them because um, they have a wide variety of services people don't realize. They also offer classes in parenting and addiction problems and And just about everything for. They have services for men? Yes. Yeah. They even have classes just for men to learn to be fathers. Yeah, and they have all the clothing, they'll help with rides, doctor appointments, homes, if you need a home to go to. Um, Their services are very broad. Now, now I have to tell you a a, a kind of an anecdotal story. As a social worker in my past, uh, I worked with the Division of Youth and Family Services, which later became the Office of Children's Services, or OCS. These are the people that show up at the door at your child's school when there's an allegation of abuse or harm. And uh, so I worked for a while with OCS, and later on in my career, I got the opportunity uh, to work with a tribal organization. And the tribal organization was working within something called limited sovereignty, and they had something called concurrent jurisdiction, which allowed them to take child protection cases from the state courts and try them in their tribal court, basically with their traditional counsel. Mm. And one of the cool things that I got to do in that job was tribal adoptions. Mm -hmm. And unlike the rest of the adoption industry, and it is an industry, Mm -hmm. tribal adoptions, I think we could take, we could take uh, some notes from them 
And I would love to see some adoption reform uh, through the state legislature. If you are a legislator or you know a legislator personally or have a good contact, I would ask you and, and encourage you to start talking, start that conversation about how do we reform uh, adoption law in the state of Alaska? And how can we impact adoption law at the national level so that it's not so costly? Because it's very expensive if you Mm -hmm. want to adopt a child. And uh, in the tribal system, you know, oftentimes what they would, the only thing they would require, and they didn't even, many of them didn't even care if it was a native family that was adopting the child. They just wanted to make sure that that child continued to have a cultural identity and connection to their tribe and their people. And so oftentimes they would allow non-native people to adopt native children as long as they did something called an open adoption. And what an open adoption did was it allowed the family, the extended biological family of a baby or, or a child, to maintain some kind of significant contact. And that might be you know, um, being able to spend a birthday with them or at Christmas time, you know, being able to correspond or have a FaceTime or a face-to-face meeting um, or maybe even have them come to uh, traditional tribal festivals, you know, um, participate in uh, tribal uh, cultural activities like uh, subsistence um, activities, gathering berries or, you know, um, going to fish camp or at least having access to a tribally um, uh, facilitated fish experience, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that they could they could carry on the traditions and values of, of their people, even though they're having to be raised by a surrogate family. And the cool thing was, was tribes didn't charge for this. Hmm. They just mm-hmm. did a home awesome. study and they did mm-hmm. the background check. And um, in, in the case of the tribe I worked for, the traditional council met with the family and interviewed the family. So all the elders in that, in that council would, would talk with the family and tell them about sort of their concerns and what they wanted. And it was really kind of, it was really beautiful. You know, I had mm-hmm. one client I can remember. Um, she was, I guess, probably 19 or 20. Uh, she had been in a relationship with uh, somebody of a of a different racial background, and so she was going to have a biracial baby. And in the culture we were in, uh, there was not a lot of tolerance for that. And she knew or felt that her baby, because the baby was going to be biracial, was going to have a more difficult time within that child's culture because of that biracial. Mm-hmm. makeup and so she made the conscious decision to approach the tribe early on in her pregnancy and said i am not going to abort my baby i love my baby but i know that my life plans are not aligned with what is best for this baby and so i'd like to identify a family who would be willing to take this baby and then she did everything right i mean she was taking prenatal vitamins and she she was uh, uh, eating well and, and not consuming, you know, um, substances that would harm the baby in utero. And it was a really beautiful thing because she, uh, and she did facilitate an open adoption, uh, because she still wanted to have a relationship with that child. And the family were so, so ecstatic about being able to welcome 
an infant in, into their family because, you know, they, they didn't have the ability to have children. And um, they had no problem with an open adoption. Mm-hmm. Basically, they became surrogate <coughs> family to mm-hmm. the young lady. And Interesting. Were they local? No, they actually lived in Anchorage, and, oh. and she lived in the village. Oh. And that was part of the reason they were selected was because she did not feel that the child was going to um, benefit in the village with, with the ethnic makeup, you know, of uh, the dad and mom being from different races. I see. And um, whether or not that actually would have been the case, you know, who's to know? Mm-hmm. But that was a concern for her. Mm-hmm. And the tribe was very responsive and and really awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, a message of hope for those out there who find themselves in crisis, you know, because pregnancy can create a little bit of a crisis Mm -hmm. for folks to know that there are people out there who who love you and who love your child, Mm -hmm. your unborn child, Mm -hmm. and that there's still hope for you to have some kind of relationship with that child. But we really need to go and, and reform the adoption laws because not every child is a native child that has a uh, you know well-formed tribal organization behind them that can facilitate this low-cost or no-cost adoption. Right. You know. There's a lot of children that I've seen parents adopt from foreign countries because... There's orphanages that are atrocious, you know, where a lot of these babies are basically not cared for very well. Um, Russia, India, China. And so I see a lot of children of other nationalities, you know, being brought to this country because it is so hard to adopt here. It's still expensive to adopt internationally. Right. But they're apparently more available. Well, and you know, this is something nobody's talking about, which I'm... There's just so much information right now. It's just, it's like we're being just deluged with Mm -hmm. information from every side. But one of the impacts of COVID, I have to wonder, what do adoptions look like under COVID? What has happened with the the adoption industry? Mm. Because a lot of people did travel. Mm-hmm. to facilitate adoptions and and you had to go in country to do that yeah and i wonder how deeply adoption uh, worldwide mm-hmm. has been impacted by covid yeah and i imagine it's been slowed way down i would think. it would also be interesting to see uh, not in a good way but uh, i would be curious to see what covid has done to abortion numbers mm. you know yeah um, i haven't really studied that out and I don't I know, know if anybody's one. tracking that, but if you've seen mm-hmm. something in the news and everybody has their different news sources or, you know, as you're browsing, if anybody comes across a, an article about that, please feel free to send it along to us here at the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club. And our email address is sarge at ammo can coffee, all one word, ammo can coffee dot ninja. So one thing I'd like to point out that, a lot of people aren't aware how many abortions are done with the pill now. It's called the abortion pill. It's a form of the original French RU486 right. that got approved here in this country. It's a two-pill regimen, and um, we actually have a little information in our bag that 
if a girl has gone into Planned Parenthood and gotten these two pills and possibly already taken the first one, it can be reversed. Really? So, yeah. In the midstream, before you take the second pill, you can change your mind. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. But And Planned I, Parenthood is probably not telling them that. No. No. So we have that information in the bag, and I would hope they would go to ABC Life Choices to help in that situation, too. But because the pill can be done privately in your bathroom, which I pointed out is more traumatic um, than in a clinical abortion, but it can be done secretly. You're not on um, medical records. Right. So you're having gotten one. And so um, actually, I was told by the abortionist who is no longer doing abortions in Kenai, he's retired, that half of the abortions were performed that way. And most of them, I don't know if he was just pulling my leg, but he said, Christians, he said, you Mm. guys are hypocrites. He said, do you know how many Christian people professing Christians come in here for these bills? Right. He said, there's lots. I've been trying to tell pastors, you've got to be preaching on this issue. Yeah. Because uh, it's possible we're growing up a generation of young people that don't even know the truth about what the Bible has to say about life. Right. And how God creates us in the womb. And so the accessibility of these pills, um, very easy. And if you don't have the knowledge, um, there's a lot of abortions going on that are not in the statistics. Well, let's take a a break from this. This is a a really... uh informational, I think timely conversation because abortion is back in the headlines and uh, and there have been some significant advances across the country. But um, I want to take a, a brief moment to acknowledge uh, somebody here in the shop. Um, so the Amacan Coffee Social Club is uh, a place for our members to do a whole wide variety of things. And we have a member, uh, her name is Diane Summers, and um, Diane has her own fascinating story, which hopefully someday we'll be able to uh, talk to her about. But, but what's really cool is, is Diane is a local artisan. And uh, welcome to the show, Diane. Well, thank you, Jason. Good <laughs> to be here. So Diane's been in the shop uh, yesterday and today, and she's, uh, she's actually doing something we call a pop-up shop. And uh, pop-up shop is just a, a, you know, I'm sure everybody's been to a farmer's market before or a craft bazaar and seen the local artisans with their booths. Well, as we enter the holiday season, leading into Thanksgiving and Christmas, we like to invite local artisans to come and show their wares and make some money. And, you know, I'm sure Diane's got huge plans for all the upcoming craft bazaars. Um, But if you don't like crowds and you don't like uh, the hard press of flesh on all sides in the uh, high school. You know, it gets a little chaotic in there. We, uh, we always go to that with our, co- our mobile cart. But uh, uh, Diane is in the shop today. And, Diane, your company is called Haywired? Haywired Jewelry. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of when you started doing this and what you're offering? Sure. Um, golly, about... 11 years ago, I got laid off from the state of Alaska, (laughs) and so I took the skills that they had bought and paid for, and then my hobby, and I said, I need to start two small businesses with this, and I loved making this jewelry. I love wire working and things like that, so 
um, I went ahead and tried to be, well, I worked for the Department of Economic Development, so I love economic development, so <laughs> had to start my business and get the, you know, follow the rules and get the business license made up and got, be, belonged to two local chambers to get the, help me get the word out. So, um, then I became a vendor like my mom, and I knew how to sign up for different things with, you know, tents and just be organized about my work schedule. And so right now, I mean, currently in the last couple of years, I love the Wednesday market in Soldatna. She does a great job, and it's um, lots of people show up, and we like that during the summer. And that's that's Annette Via that runs yes, that. Yes, Annette yeah. Via. I'm a big yeah. fan of Annette. Well, we're big fans of Annette's right now, and our prayers go out to her. I know she is... Uh, in sunny Mexico, that she went down to BioCare, and uh, for those of you who uh, know a little bit about Annette's story, um, she had a pretty aggressive cancer, and there's some just some tremendous medical advances that have been made. Unfortunately, you have to go to Mexico to to uh, uh, have access to those. And there was a recent uh, 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 seminar that was given on here. We have some information about BioCare, but. She offers an excellent venue. She also makes, by the way, I didn't know if you knew this, Diane, but she makes all of our cookies, and she makes all of our burritos. (laughs) You buy them, yes. Buy the burrito. I love her burrito. Yeah, so we have the breakfast burrito, and then we have a vegan bean burrito, and uh, Annette just does an an outstanding job. But if you've not seen Diane's um, wire work, this is not just a simple twisting of wire. I mean, this is... This is pretty complex stuff I'm looking at over here. Um, lots of beads, lots of uh, intricate designs. And um, if you've been in the shop and you've seen the small offering of earrings that we have, Diane makes the, the coffee cup and teacup earrings that uh, we, we sell here in the shop. But she does so much more than that. So uh, she's here for the rest of the day. I'm going to try and upload this podcast it's not likely that you will uh, uh, probably be able to get the information and be here today, but know that we can connect you with Diane, and she's going to be at a number of bazaars this this uh, season. Go ahead. This coming weekend, I'll be at um, the Sterling Community Center okay. at their holiday events. So. so next weekend, Sterling Community you Center. Find there. You'll find her there. Um, she's also, I, I'm probably not going to get out of being able to buy one of her, uh, rings here. I really like her rings. Bringing back the seventies with spoon rings. Yeah. <laughs> she's got, she's got spoon rings that are awesome. So if you've ever seen the, you know, I don't know how many people's grandmothers collected spoons, but that used to be a thing. Mm-hmm. I think it is still a thing down mm-hmm. lower 48, but, uh, she's found some outstanding spoons and spoon designs and sterling silver I've gone psycho and into the an- the antique stores now yeah <laughs> yeah like oh they see her coming and it's like uh, hide the Dodge. silverware <laughs> but uh no she's got a lot of things to offer and we just wanted to give a shout out to her because we're going to transition now into thank you diane thank you. we're going to transition into talking a little bit more about the social club before we get back to uh, the uh, conversation with with uh, Becky about um, uh, abortion and local services, but uh, you know we've we've had some. I put a teaser out there at the beginning of the podcast. You know we've had some people that just sort of stare blankly at us when they when they hear us ask if they've signed the book. Well, the book is our membership book. Membership is free. We do have some elite tiered uh, paid memberships that have a whole bunch of cool amenities attached to them, but. Um, 
So what is a social club and when does a coffee shop stop being a coffee shop and become something much more? Well, last December, as you have heard, if you've listened to the previous episodes of the podcast, the Soldatna City Council got woke and wanted to become like Anchorage and start talking about masking mandates. And there was some discussion about uh, the potential of, of uh, restricted numbers of people and businesses. And, you know, you know how you know where that conversation goes without pushback it goes deeper and deeper into tyranny and uh infringing on personal liberty and so the community spoke loud and clear and uh, that ordinance was narrowly defeated by one vote but they left the door open to do more and they have done more and um given the opportunity they will do more yet so we decided to become a private club and over the last year or you know i guess 11 months now We've been working to define what is what does that mean exactly. And so I'm just going to go ahead and go through a social calendar for you because that's what a social club does. It has events and activities and opportunities. And uh, we exist to educate, uh, equip, empower, and send our uh, social club members into whatever direction of leadership um, or activism, or community development they see needs to happen. So um, I'm just going to start right off with our, our, our longest standing offering of, of social activities. So every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, a leadership team of youth arrives here, and they start prepping for the Roots youth group and it started off with i think it was 10 or 12 kids um all junior high kids a couple i think there was maybe one or two high schoolers in there but over the last three years this group has grown to uh include about 50 to 80 kids at any given time i think the mm-hmm. biggest event we ever held for them we had 118 people in the building Wow. <laughs> we were two two people short mm. of our fire code <laughs> maximum occupancy number, which is 120. So, um, but uh, that's pretty exciting. Every Tuesday from seven to nine, this youth group meets, and it's completely led by y- youth. So they have a worship team. They have a message. Um, it's really kind of an ecumenical. Uh, environment. I know there's kids from other churches that come, but it's uh, sponsored by the Baptist uh, Soldatna Roots Family Church, and that started out as a home church, and uh, uh, periodically they still do some home things, but um, they stepped up uh, two years ago. My son had come home from college and had gotten a job with Fish and Game, and he was feeling really disconnected because all of his friends were gone, right? They all went off to college, and many of them didn't return. And, but he did identify a couple of folks that had come back to work, and he had been really active in a college ministry called Chi Alpha up at UAA. And he asked me, he said, Hey, Dad, I would like to try to do what we were doing with Chi Alpha down here through the summer. Is that okay? Is there a time? And I said, Well, yeah, you know, Thursdays would be a good night uh, because we don't have any conflicts. And so he started this group, and and uh, put together a leadership team, and they built it up to like 30 people. And it, it was pretty, pretty amazing, actually, to see what they were able to pull together in three months. Well, that group has since evolved, and um, our uh, 
barista Jenny Orth here is now the leader of that group. And um, so with the support of the Roots Family Church, uh, they're helping support financially the Young Adult College and Career Night, which is every uh, fellowship, which is every Thursday night. And, uh, you know, the, their numbers kind of wax and wane with, uh, with summer and kids coming back from college and whatnot. But uh, there's a good probably 10 to 12 or 15 people here every Thursday night between the ages of 18 and 29. Hmm. And so that's an opportunity for um, young adults who maybe feel disconnected from their peer group because it's kind of hard in this community. There's not a lot of healthy places for young adults to meet outside of the bar scene, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not exactly a healthy scene. Um, but then uh, the, the church also um, expanded this last year to include congregational meetings here, and so they rent the space every Sunday morning. So the, the, sort of like our core programs that are going on, well, a whole bunch of other things have evolved around that, and I want to tell you about those. Um, so uh, there's been a group of, of older gentlemen. I'd say probably the youngest is maybe in their 50s early 50s but uh it started out um the organizer don Poole was one of the original founding members of i think he actually started the alaska bowman's association back in the 70s and uh so it's a it's a collection of sportsmen that just meet to uh you know swap stories and tell lies and swap flies and (laughs) drink coffee and you know eat bear claws and (laughs) and just have a time to to reconnect and that group has grown to be 15 15 or 20 folks and it's pretty cool to see that but uh recently um they had been calling it the bow hunters coffee because of don's roots with the bow hunting community but uh we found that more sportsmen hunters and sportsmen um were coming and participating so every wednesday at 10 uh 30 till the last hunter leaves <laughs> this this group takes up the front part of the shop and if you're uh if you're interested in outdoors uh, uh activities you like listen to stories about hunts and grand adventures across alaska and the globe because many of these guys have hunted internationally um this is just an awesome opportunity to connect with some folks in your community that you might not otherwise meet and uh, don also is a a boone and crockett and Pope and Young Registrar. So if you take a trophy animal with a rifle or uh, or with a bow, uh, he's your man because he's the one that will measure everything and get you in the books. Um, wow. So that's pretty neat. Um, <laughs> the next thing I want to tell you about is on the 15th, so that's this coming Monday, we have um, a group from Sterling that's been meeting. And uh, I just made contact uh with their organizer her name um is jennifer and this group is uh has been called covid community conversations and so this group um has been meeting out at the sterling community center but it's kind of expensive for them to rent that space and people are really enjoying the time to connect and talk about their concerns and new information coming out and just, you know, it's almost kind of like a support group but an educational group and an action group, very similar to what we're doing here on Saturdays. And so she reached out to us and this Monday from six to eight P 
p.m. We're going to stay open late, hmm. and uh, that group's going to meet here. Um, and this this is going to be specifically. Um, I'm going to read a text she sent me. She said we are an open group that shares our personal experiences and information, keeping it factual, to help connect and support each other and build a network of resources. Uh, we have revisited German history. So this is the group that did that, you know, uh, correlation with the COVID uh, mandates and, and uh, Nazi Germany. Um, currently talking about the strategies of the Communist Party. So there's some history here. Um, we discuss how COVID has impacted us personally on the three areas of education, medically, and the elections, as those seem to come up at each meeting. So if you are looking for a, a group to, of, of uh, like-minded people who are concerned, um, you're looking for support and a place just to kind of sound your alarm and, and feel like uh, it's a safe place to do so, you know, this Monday, um, we encourage you to come down here. Now, I talked to her about trying to keep her group in Sterling because we already have the Liberty Action Group here in Soldatna. And really what we need to see is we need to see these groups organically starting in each of the communities across our state. And then we need to network. Mm -hmm. We need to network together because um, a rising tide raises all ships, right? And we need to be that tide. Mm -hmm. Each of us are in our own little boats, mm -hmm. but uh, we need to be working together and we need to mm -hmm. hold our, uh, we need to educate our local elected officials. We need to support those who are liberty-minded and we need to hold those who are not liberty-minded accountable and remove them. Mm. So um, that's a big opportunity. And, and uh, I, I told her she should give Maggie at Magpie's Pizza a call because I think Maggie, Maggie's pretty patriotic. And she is a longtime resident of Sterling. Uh, she's got a great pizza place out there. Mm. And uh, so if you live in Sterling, come check it out on Monday night if you haven't already been able to connect if you're not from Sterling, you still want to check it out, come check it out. And then let's just support this group however we can. Next thing I'd like to tell you about, so again, we're on the theme of what makes a social club. Well, we do social stuff. On the 16th, uh, that's this coming Monday, um, or actually Tuesday, I'm sorry, uh, we have, we'll have the fourth, I think this will be the fourth, Pastors Liberty Social. So this is something that spun out of the Liberty Action Group that meets here on Saturdays. And uh, one of our local, one of our members, one of the participants in Liberty Action stepped up and said, you know, the area of leadership I'm feeling called, feeling called to is, is to bring pastors together in unity around this idea of liberty. You know, and as a Christian, I can say, I know who the true author of liberty is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, and so um, as we see liberty infringed, that's not only an attack on what the Constitution identifies as our you know, God-given rights, but it's mm -hmm. an attack on our faith. This will be very good to bring pastors together because they used to have a luncheon. I used to sometimes go and share what was going on with. It right was pretty to life. robust. I went to one of those yeah. once upon a time, and there were probably twenty pastors in the room. Yeah, and um, they used to meet over at Sal's. It's no yeah, longer Sal's. different restaurants. Yeah. They get in the conference room and once a month or so, and um, they haven't had those. For 
for quite some time. So there needs to be some communication between the pastors. And one of the pastors, I went to one of these meetings where there were three there, and he was sharing that there's been a turnover in leadership in churches, and a lot of the new pastors don't know this history or have the relationships built over time. Or it's not a, not a priority. Yeah. You know, and independence. And well, there's a, there's a lot of uh, younger pastors coming in and that sort of that institutional knowledge that we had of those, those well-established long serving pastors who were very much part of the community, them retiring out or passing away or, um, just moving to to new positions, mm-hmm. you know, has left this vacuum, yeah. and and so we're encouraging pastors to come. And they had been holding this meeting on Mondays, but really, that's for most pastors, that's their only day off. And if you know, I mean, a lot of people joke, it's like, oh, pastors are lucky; they only have to work on Sundays. That's not exactly the case. <laughs> if you know anything about ministry, it's sort of like uh, it's a lifestyle and a calling not a job. Mm-hmm. You know, a job you can clock in and out of, a lifestyle you have to live day by day. Mm-hmm. And there are no hours of operation and hours when you're closed. Yeah. You're open 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So we want to encourage pastors to come to that. That uh, happens at 1 o'clock here at Ammo Can Coffee um, on Tuesdays now. So the next uh, social calendar uh, opportunity is... The Liberty Action Coalition, or not Coalition, but Liberty Action AK. And uh, so they'll be meeting here today, here shortly. But um, we have scheduled a protest, a convoy, and a rally all on the same day. And that is Saturday, November 20th. And the, uh, the protest will start in the parking lot of the Central Peninsula Hospital. And uh, it'll be a respectful event. Uh, we're going to peacefully protest quietly um, and just let the hospital know that we're watching. Let the administrators know and the docs, you know who you are. Uh, those who are withholding treatment uh, from families and patients that are requesting access to treatment uh, outside of your COVID protocol, um, that we're watching and that we're going to hold you accountable. In the ways that are civilly available mm-hmm. to us, isn't this international, Jason? This that is. Means? This is. So this is. Uh, so November twentieth is an international rally day uh, for liberty, medical liberty, and across the globe. And so we are participating. And uh, Garrett Ennis, uh, who many might remember, was uh, one of the key organizers for the Liberty Rally in the park this last summer. Uh, he's helping to organize this and provide direction. So if you'd like to get involved, you know, come by the shop at uh, 1.30 on Saturdays. There's a lot of like-minded people here. And uh, beware. You'll probably be asked to do something. But nothing happens, change doesn't happen, happen without action, without mm-hmm. a catalyst. Mm-hmm. And uh, each of us is a catalyst in our own right. So that's an opportunity. So um, CPH, uh, parking lot, noon. Uh, we'll be there for about an hour, and then we're going to rally, drive, kind of like the Trump trains did, uh, from the hospital over to the Main Street Tap and Grill in Kenai. That's the corner by Arby's. It's the hotel and, and bar and grill across the street from Arby's, actually. Locally owned. Great food. Uh, great beverages. Uh, great lodging. 
and uh, they have agreed to allow us to use their their parking lot and lawn for this event um and there we're going to get noisy and we're going to have signs and we're going to have speakers uh we're going to keep it relatively short because it is winter now and it's cold but uh prepare to come bundled up and and we want it to be a, a a festive event we want it to be very optically um significant so that people driving by can see this huge group of people who are calling for liberty and then we want to turn around and we want to bless the owner of that property and uh, retire into the grill uh, to have uh, our lunch and fellowship afterwards and warm up. So Mm -hmm. there are opportunities to engage all around you. You just have to look. Uh, So next on the schedule, we have um, a new weekly group that we'll be meeting on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9. This is called the Band of Brothers Men's Christian Fellowship. And this is uh, an offshoot of a group that started up at Kaparik on the North Slope. For those of you who don't know what the North Slope is, that's where all of the water drains across Alaska's sort of Great Divide and flows into the Arctic Ocean. And we call it the North Slope because that's where most of the oil development has happened and, and a large percentage of our economy is derived and a lot of the folks that live in the central peninsula actually commute by plane up to the north slope to work in the oil field there so uh, about six years ago two fellows went into a room decided they were going to hold a bible study uh, invited 10 friends none of them showed up but there were two other fellows that showed up and they had a conversation said hey how'd you hear about the bible study tonight and they said the brochure and uh, David the gentleman that I'm working with right now to start the uh, the chapter here in Soldatna uh, looked at his friend and said, did you print a brochure? And he said, no, did you? He said, no. And the fellow across the table said, no, we printed the brochure. You're at our meeting. So God had brought these four men together at the mm-hmm. same time in the same conference room on the same day with the same purpose. And they didn't know each other. So that's a pretty neat start <laughs> to what's grown mm. into a, a men's fellowship of almost 70 men. And they have an online app uh, where they share praise uh, reports and prayer requests. And they occasionally get together and do social things. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks, and the way this works is guys go up there and they'll work two weeks on and they come home for two weeks. And this group is a support group for men and men's issues, you know, and as a, as a man myself, you know, how do I, I struggle to be a good father sometimes being the best husband I can be is difficult. Sometimes I'm going to be a grandfather soon. I have no idea what that's going to look like. I'm very excited, but, um, you know, as men travel through life and we deal with the the pressure and the struggles day to day of, of, uh, you know, just navigating life and being a good leader and a Christian and a husband and, you know, these things, it's, we have to have support. And uh, David had his band of brothers, his mighty men, you know, and we're kind of hoping that uh, this will flourish and grow. And we invite any man on the Central Peninsula looking for fellowship. Uh, It's ecumenical. There's no singular church sponsoring it. Uh, It's on neutral ground. So um, if you're a pastor and you feel threatened, then uh, maybe you should check yourself. Before you wreck yourself. 
But seriously, um, you know, the church has to come together and leadership Mm -hmm. has to come together. We're all called to spread the gospel by Christ's great commission to go into the world and to take the light to the world. And uh, this is another way that we can do that. Exactly, Jason, speaking of grandparents, don't you have a grandmother's group here? Yes, we have the Foxy Grandmas, you know, and they meet on Wednesdays as well after the sportsman's group meets. And uh, they talk about, so it's a Bible study and political group. Hmm. So I know a number of grandmother's political Bible study group. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So a number of the of them are. um, I think it's primarily a Bible study, but a number of them are involved in the local conservative movement and the women's Republican groups, and so they often share what's happening and they'll talk about you know current events and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, so the Foxy Grandmas. Thank you. I did mm-hmm. not have them on my list. Oh, yeah. I've but run into them here because I have they're kind a, grandma, of a They're kind so of I an have... exclusive group, you know. Uh-huh. I don't know what kind of secret handshake they have, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, from time to time, we uh, I've seen some Masons in here as well, you know. Uh, they generally stick hmm. to themselves, but they're friendly folks, and I've heard the Masons have done some, you know, some good things. They don't typically seek recognition. Which is interesting, uh, whether you support the Masons or not. Uh, you know their their history is. Let's just leave it at interesting. And uh, but I do know that there. Are, I, I've I've known several Masons that were tremendous community members. And so if you're looking for a way to connect, there's a lot of ways to connect. And the Amokan Coffee Social Club is a hub for connection. So. For all you hipsters out there and young folks who are like, man, everything he's talking about does not apply to me. I would challenge you to say, well, you know, maybe you need to look at expanding your horizons and see how it does apply because we want you here. We want your voice. We want to support you and uh, the things that you're concerned about. But we also want you to have fun. So I'm pleased to announce that uh, we have just uh, reached an agreement with Dalton and Tia. And he is a national competitor and local organizer of an esports league. Are you familiar with esports? No. No. <laughs> Electronic sports. Hmm. So get those thumbs. James? Yeah, get those thumbs tuned up. You know, make sure you do at least, you know, 2,000 reps on each thumb per day so that your joystick handling and button mashing is, you know, in top form Mm -hmm. esports is a growing well-funded entertainment option for folks and uh this local group is the peninsula super smash brothers esports league (laughs) that's a game that's a game by the way (laughs) so uh we are going to be hosting them we're going to be expanding our hours on friday nights to 8 p.m so all you night owls out there who are upset when we cut our hours back on Fridays, we now have a dedicated group that's willing to help us pay the bills to stay open later on Fridays. We'll be open to the public, but we are going to be hosting every other week these eSports uh, tournaments. So the calendar is December 10th, December 31st, January 14th, 
and January 28th. That's the first uh, eSports League series. And um, they will have divisions for newbies, beginners, uh, in the arcade division. They will have, and those are folks who are not ranked. Did you know that you can become nationally ranked in these games? Uh, I've heard of something like that, yeah, but I know so, very little. Yeah. So uh, they will have a t- uh, team mm-hmm. competition, which is uh, so three brackets: one for the newbies mm-hmm. or beginners, people just wanting to get into esports and learn about what it's all about. You know, uh, the other bracket will be for teams or doubles which is two versus two, so two people against two people, or singles, which is one versus one. And the really exciting thing is, uh, for those who follow esports, is you will know exactly who I'm talking about when I talk about Team Liquid. Team Liquid is a sponsored team. Um, Monster sponsors them, the Monster Beverages, which is a Coke brand. Um... I think, uh, well, I was told like five multinational corporations that sponsor them. Hmm. Um, so they are they're a big deal. Hmm. Well, one of their one of their stars on the team goes by the screen name Chudat, C H U D A T, which he used to say the word true dat, which is that you know that Louisiana sort of you know. Right on, or you're, I got you, or yeah. you know, say it again, or <laughs> amen, or whatever. But uh, the way that he says true dat sounds more like chew dat, and uh, that's his screen name. He's part of Team Liquid, he will be here in Ammo Can Coffee for this, uh, this first um, tournament, which will be on December 10th. Now, I don't follow esports, but my son Liam is a super nerd. He is he is esports geeked out, and he works for the University of Alaska Anchorage, and uh, he's on on staff there. Um, and he was tasked with helping design an esports lounge in the Student Services Center, which was funded by the Alaska National Guard. And so he he actually oversees these tournaments at UAA. And when I called him and told him about this, he, he freaked out. He freaked out. He was like, this is so cool. <laughs> so if you don't know how cool it is, just trust me when I tell you it's really cool. So if you're a young person and you'd like to uh, explore the exciting world of esports, uh, Dalton's going to be setting up. Uh, we've talked about him setting up a permanent station in the corner here with one console with Super Smash Brothers, so that if you would like to come in and hone your skills, if you don't own a console yourself, <laughs> that'll be available soon. Mm. But check it out, and then um, uh, Chudat is going to be officiating the Grand Finale Championship. And they're going to be streaming the whole, uh, all of these on Twitch. So if you're familiar with Twitch, you'll be able to watch the gaming platform and see the uh, action live as they're streaming on Twitch. And you'll be able to hear the commentary and maybe learn some tricks of the trade and as you hone your own skills. And, uh, you know, get an opportunity to come in and, and uh, see Chudat. And I'm going to be talking to uh, Odom corporation to see if they will sponsor the games 
so that we can have some swag and prizes to give away because we sell Monster and Coke and stuff here, mm-hmm. and uh, we know the sales rep. So that's some exciting kind of stuff coming down the pike, and mm-hmm. just wanted to let everybody know. that. So that's what a social club does. That's mm-hmm. what a social club is. And we've got more uh, different options and opportunities percolating in our future. Uh, we are working with uh, a couple of folks right now talking about developing a youth shooting sports program hmm. so that would be a positive youth development activity mm-hmm. that would teach kids uh, proper gun handling and safety but also get them exposure to a growing sport across the nation uh, for competitive shooting and many people don't recognize this or know this about alaska but uaf has a nationally ranked and actually internationally renowned shooting program Hmm. so you can go to college on a full ride scholarship shooting really did you know that no yeah they keep (laughs) that kind of on the low low because you know (laughs) i guess so wow it's not something that the the progressives in the college like yeah to acknowledge but it is a, a an approved athletic event um and it's also an olympic event Wow. So um, we have a gentleman whose son is a nationally ranked shooter with the USA Shooting Program. He has uh, been certified by the USA Shooting Program, uh, the U.S. Biathlon Association. So if you ski and shoot, uh, he's a, a certified, uh, I think, coach um, and range safety officer. Uh, he's also oh. been certified by the CMP, the Civilian Marksmanship Program, and the National Rifle association so he's got four of these certifications and he approached me about a month ago and said if we can find a venue then he will come down and his son will come down and his son's team may come down and they may even loan us some of their club guns to start a youth shooting sports program so if you're listening to this and you have kids uh and you'd like to Mm -hmm. volunteer we're looking for volunteers Mm -hmm. Uh, we're also looking for a venue we need an indoor space where we can shoot precision air rifles. Um, it can be in any space that has uh, a 10-meter range, so that means 33 feet. If you have 33 feet of an interior space where we could set up four or five shooting positions uh, to shoot into a backdrop, which typically is just a big uh, Kevlar curtain, um, We can do it indoors. Uh, We have to have at least 10 feet of space behind the firing line uh, for people to safely, you know, move around and stand. Uh, But we really are excited about this and want to encourage you to uh, step up and step into the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club family and become part of the solution. Hmm. Because each of us has been given a measure of talent and on loan Mm -hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. as uh, Rush Limbaugh would say, <laughs> talent on loan from God. And uh, there is a parable that we've spoken about in the past about the master and the talents, talents being money that he gave to his servants. To some, he gave much, to others little, and expected them to invest it in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he came back from his trip and found the ma- the the, the uh, servants that had invested it wisely, they were rewarded. But the one silly servant who buried his talent in the ground and did nothing with it he was rebuked and reprimanded mm-hmm. and that was uh, I, if I 
don't misquote the scripture that it was the only reward he would ever get mm-hmm. was what he buried in the ground and uh, so don't be the servant that buries your talent in the ground be the servant that steps up and uh, invests your talent in your community invest mm-hmm. in your youth and your children in the children mm-hmm. around you and the families around you mm-hmm. um, let's go ahead and, and, and wrap things up and I just want to talk a little bit about Right to Life again um, are there any upcoming activities or, or events that people can plug into Yes. Um, in fact, I'm going to be scheduling a meeting here in the ammo can for December. And Shoot, I didn't have that in my list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just learning about it right now. Probably be two consecutive days on a weekend. I don't know if we're going to do a Saturday or Sunday, but it's to watch. Um, we'll probably use your TV in your conference room right? that you can plug into. And have food and stuff. But it's going to be three sessions each of basically everything you wanted to know about the issue of right to life. From beginning to end, forwards, backwards, what's going on right now, the medical, the history, the politics. Well, this sounds like an excellent opportunity for pastors. Mm-hmm. Maybe who are not... Maybe, you know, I, I wonder often if if pastors or leaders are reluctant to do things because they don't know enough about them. Mm-hmm. They're not informed and they don't feel they have the time to become well-informed. And so rather than appear incompetent or ill-informed, uh, they just choose the path of least resistance, which is do nothing. Right. Yeah, that would be good. And I am going to advertise it to the churches okay. first and foremost. I'm not just our group. Um. And this is a locally done um, event. It's Locally organized? Yeah, even though I'm on the Right to Life board for the state, um, each of us does things in our own areas uh, you know, that are on the Right to Life board. Well, for those of you who listen to the radio, KSRM on 920 AM has a show called The Bird's Eye View. And I know that Bob Bird, has, uh, the host of that show, has been a very active pro-life member for many, many, many years. And uh, I would encourage you that uh, if you're in the local area, aside from listening to this show, if you're not turning it, tuning into the bird's eye view, then you're missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, I, I love every opportunity I get to talk to Bob. And uh, he was kind of my inspiration as a kid to get politically active. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you know Bob very, very well as yeah, he and I... Were you arrested with Bob yeah. back in the day? Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you about the upswell of Right to Life activities in the 80s, okay. which was when he and I both headed up a Right to Life group here right. in the Kenai Soldatna area. And he was seasoned and I was new, but I came alongside of him and we kind of co-chaired the group. Well, we held conferences. Uh, we even had uh, web broadcasts at the... Uh, sports center and had hundreds of people attend formal dinners that were served and um yes we blocked abortion clinics in anchorage and i wanted to point out that a lot of people maybe have no idea of the blessings that can be in civil disobedience right and so we now, considered now we, now we have to define that. back up a we, little we need bit. to define civil disobedience yeah. because we hear that term but i don't know that this generation actually knows what that looks like. Right. How would you define civil disobedience? 
Now, the great founder of this type of thing was Mahatma Gandhi. And he rose up against the um, tyranny of England. The British occupation. The British occupation in India. Right. And did many things, which we don't have time to go into here. And then Martin Luther King, a lot of his activities were civil disobedience also. Um, it's refusing to obey government laws or mandates that are just unjust. <laughs> They're unjust. Now, it's important but, to qualify in a peaceful way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, not in a violent way. Right. But, for instance, for us, that meant being willing to trespass to save a life. Right. So... Which, technically, is trespassing technically is against is, the law. Yes, but technically, you can trespass to save a life. Say, if you saw... Someone yelling for help from a window of a building burning down and there's a no trespassing sign. Of course, you're not going to stand out there and go, oh, dear, I can't trespass. Somebody's going to die in that building. You rush in there to save their life. Who cares about no trespassing? Right. This is the urgency that we feel about the babies in the abortion clinics. They are crying out for help or would if they could. Right. And so we're willing to trespass. Well, you also mentioned getting together and singing. Well, that's what we did. There'd be Christians from all types of churches, and there were anywhere from 60 to 100 of us. And we would sit in front of the abortion clinic door before they opened that morning and sing. And sometimes we prayed, and sometimes we prophesied, or did other spiritual activities together. Right. And when the police arrived, they were kind of perplexed, you know, like, <laughs> what do we do with these people? You know, what's strange <laughs> is if you went out to uh, Planned Parenthood today and you dressed in uh, native garb and you brought some sage with you and you started smudging, <laughs> you know what would happen? Absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably nothing. Nothing. It seems like when Christ enters the equation... Mm -hmm. The left loses their minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think Christ is the truth, brings the truth. Right. Everything else is just a reflection, maybe. Right. Well, the blessings that happened, number one, we were brought together as Christians that would have never met each other under any other <sighs> circumstance and formed lifelong relationships with each other. The other is that we blessed the police. We prayed for the police while they were arresting us. And when we went to trial um, as a group, we sang in the court. The judge came in on one of those hearings and said, wow, that sounds awesome. Keep singing, guys, instead of everybody <laughs> stand and sit down. And so we did. And when I was put on the stand to testify... Well, first of all, the police officer that arrested me, I was the only one put in handcuffs that day, and I had a Bible in my hand. So it was on the evening news. Somebody in the evening news filmed my handcuffed hands holding a Bible being drugged to this um, school bus to be hauled down to the police department with everybody else. Um, I kept telling him how much God loved him and what life meant and the preciousness of life and that Jesus gave his life on the cross for him. So when he got up on the... Uh, stand to answer questions that were supposed to incriminate me and that the judge was asking the questions uh what did she say you know why did you arrest her what did she say and he said well 
she just kept saying god loves me and jesus died for me and <laughs> well isn't there anything else no no that's all and she said you know rebecca i'm going to give you community service where would you like to serve you can choose the uh pregnancy center in kenai <laughs> <laughs> you can choose any one of these. Well, she, gee, Your Honor, that's a tough choice. Yeah, so <laughs> I was blessed. I got trained as a counselor at the pregnancy center as my um, punishment, you might say. Other people that went to jail actually had to spend a few nights in jail. It yeah. was just a, they got people saved, started Bible studies. <laughs> uh, just revival of, broke out in the jail. Kind, it's, it's kind of what happened when uh, Mao Zedong uh, thought that he would destroy the church by by um, sending all the Christians all across China and splitting them up. You know, he thought if he split the church up, he would destroy the church. And he did more for spreading the gospel and <laughs> and creating uh, uh, creating a, a, a vibrant underground church than they could have ever accomplished on their own. Isn't it? Isn't it yeah. interesting yeah. how how when tyranny raises its ugly head. How God just, you know, the author of liberty right. provides a way. Yeah. You know, and we don't often see it when we're in it. Mm-hmm. It's only after we've walked the path and we look back at our footsteps mm-hmm. and we can see his right there next to us. Right. And then we can see all of the pitfalls that he steered us clear of and see all the blessings he walked us into. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to I have to comment. I I so this week I, I had I was challenged. I had two emails. Well actually one was a Facebook Messenger and the other was an email. So the first thing I received was a Facebook message from somebody in the Christian community who attested to having known me for five years. Never has this person spoken to me. Not in five years. And we see each other on a pretty frequent weekly basis. And I had posted last week when we went out to uh, the curbside to picket the hospital uh, on behalf of the Gibbs family. I had posted an email that said, please join us to protest uh, the, the withholding of medical uh, treatment, uh, infringement on medical liberty, and join us in prayer. Mm-hmm. That's what I posted. Now we have some colorful folks in the community that like to respond to those things. And I have like five different email or, or uh, Facebook pages that I manage. And so I try not to get on Facebook that much. I, I'll make a post, then I'm off. Or if I get bored one night, I'll sit down for maybe an hour and I'll put a bunch of stuff out. But then I won't look at it for a week or two. And then we'll go on when we have special events, <laughs> you know, do our Facebook Live. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I don't like live on Facebook and I don't take Messenger on my phone because I don't like Facebook tracking my phone everywhere I go, which, which Messenger does that. Mm-hmm. So the only time I look at Messenger is when I'm in the office when I have some time. So when we were out there on the curb, somebody said, oh, uh, you know, there's been a call about somebody being out here with an AR-15. And we're like, what? That's ridiculous. And the police drove by several times. They never stopped. They never did anything. And nobody was unruly, and nobody, I, didn't, I don't think anybody even went on hospital property. They were out on the street mm-hmm. next to the hospital, mm-hmm. not even within window eyesight of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least not from the lower floors. Maybe somebody in the tower could see us, but um, 
So I got back to the shop here, and I had this this message, this private message waiting for me from somebody who works in the hospital who claimed to know me for five years, has never reached out to me. This is the very first contact they ever made. And it was just the most disparaging, discouraging, like, how dare you, you know, be involved in an activity where, you know, somebody's threatening to bring a gun and... You know, we've had gun violence at the hospital, and how dare you, you know, just do something when we've been slaving our fingers to the bone, serving the public, you know. Never talked about the family that we were there to support or any of the problems in the Mm -hmm. hospital, but was totally coming from this really leftist kind of self-righteous, judgmental, you know, very, very uh, me-focused kind of position. And I wrote him back, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So they sent me a screenshot of my comment and one of these more colorful characters in the community who wrote under my comment, should we meet curbside with, curbside with AR-15s? Wow. And they were being, they were joking, you know, but inappropriate. And you never saw that. And I that. didn't see it, so I didn't respond to it. And then later there was a follow-up comment. This was like a bad idea, you know. <laughs> Somebody told that guy, bad idea, right? Well, I didn't see it. Yeah. But they wanted to make, associate me with that comment Mm -hmm. just because somebody responded to my well-placed comment about prayer Mm -hmm. and peaceful protesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And isn't that like the left? Yeah. This happened a lot during the Operation Rescue days in the 80s, which is what I just described we did in Anchorage. It was happening all over the nation. It was called Operation Rescue. And typically the media would film uh, counter-protests and say it was us throwing bricks and yelling obscenities at the abortion clinic or doing something violent. I don't think it was ever us unless there was an infiltrator or something. Yeah. But the movement by Agent and large. Agent provocateur. <laughs> yeah. So this is typical yeah. uh, to try to vilify the good guys, you know. Well, it, I have to say that this individual didn't, uh, you know, followed up the, the statement with one that was like, well, I wasn't really pointing you out, but still terrible, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I didn't respond after that. I was just like, whatever. The next person, I, the next time I saw him. They didn't approach me. I didn't approach them. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, five years of non-contact, fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. If the first time they try to contact me is this, like, just strange emotional reaction, something I didn't do. Right. You know, but People we have to act on assumptions. We, you know, yeah. and we have to take a breath. I, you mm-hmm. know, everybody's so caught up in, in, in uh, you know, and I hate social media for this, launching missiles from behind walls. Where there's nothing at stake, nothing mm-hmm. personally at stake for doing it, mm-hmm. other than being called out on in a podcast. <laughs> but I'm not naming the person; they yeah. know who they are. Yeah. But the the other thing I got was I I, <laughs> I got this uh, Google Business uh, notification that somebody left our our business a review, which is kind of funny because you have to be a member to receive services at our business. You're not allowed in the business unless you're a member. Mm-hmm. So this person gave us a one-star review. And then uh, I saw it bounce across my phone. 
you know, I was like, huh, what's that? And I, I try to respond to all reviews. And this one said, you know, I'd spend way more money at this location if they weren't so self-righteous or holier than thou. And, you know, they went and then it sort of trailed off in the dot, 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 mm-hmm. you know. And so I went into the back office for Google Business to see if I could see the full comment. It wasn't there. It was gone. I didn't remove it. My wife didn't remove it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if Google removed it or some weird algorithm or we were being trolled through some third-party server or something to make it look like it was a Google review. Huh. But here's what that tells me. We're on the right trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, I believe it was, that said you can judge the caliber of the man by the caliber of their enemy. Mm-hmm. You can judge the caliber of a movement by the caliber of the resistance mm-hmm. to that movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll leave you with this. The very last thing, and I don't, I don't follow this guy. Um, I've watched some of his, his stuff, and he's got a lot of hyperbole. I know he's been lambasted by the mainstream media. He's been kicked off every kind of social platform. I think he's been persona non grata, uh, deemed persona non grata from the U.K., uh, his name is Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Alex Jones is? Mm-hmm. Somebody said that we made the Alex Jones show <laughs> this week. Really? That that our that our our protest at the hospital here oh. made his show. So, if Alex Jones is taking notice, you better believe there are other people who are taking notice, and they their 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 common action. And I saw this in Juno is. When they feel threatened, do nothing, say nothing, create no opportunity for narrative. Mm-hmm. So they're ignoring us, but they're watching. Right. So a lot for of people a minute, turn around and wave to the guys in the black van out there. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> people might wonder what good is it? You know, a few people out on the street or waving signs. You'd be surprised at the passersby or people that just know about it. It it gets known about the ripple effect is amazing. Right. You know, with our rescues, we found, I wanted to point out, there were some babies saved. And one of them was a gal that actually got taken in by, some people wonder, well, do these pro-life people actually help people and take in mothers and adopt babies and do the, so is, the is hard that, work? Yes, they do. that person around? Oh, yeah. Here in the community? No, the person that survived the abortion was raised in Fairbanks. Okay. And he's now a Catholic priest. Is there a way we could get him on the show? Well, there's an idea. That would be cool. Yeah. So once you figure it out, let me know. Okay. Uh, We've got a group of folks meeting right now for the (laughs) Liberty Action AK group. They're uh, getting all the chairs in place. I see some new banners that have been printed. Man, those look fantastic. Check it out. They did a good job on those banners. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining the Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And um, Becky, and and, uh, if you want to get involved in the right to life, how can they... Get a hold we have of you a Facebook or what can they page do? Okay. and a web page. Just Google it. It'll take you there. Okay. And Right to Life is involved in the medical liberty because people are dying. They're losing their lives. So um, they've expanded beyond the issue of unborn babies to right. be involved in this uh, right. problem of people dying in hospitals. Now, I didn't stuff. get to it in this show, but I would be remiss if I did not tell you about this website. I want you to go to it and check it out. It's very... If you're still on the fence about vaccinate or not vaccinate and you think that there's just a lot of misinformation out there, 
person there's nothing like personal testimony and you need to check out vaccine safety research foundation it's just www.vacsafety.org vacsafety.org check it out they are calling on uh president biden and uh, uh dr fauci to uh allow a group of parents to come and talk to them about what they're seeing in their kids the kids that have been vaccinated and have mm. been harmed by the vaccine mm. there's video on here i will warn you it's very disturbing but see how people have been negatively impacted. And, you know, it's easy to disassociate people from the data and just hear the data. Oh, there's X number of VERS reported, you know, reactions. Until you see a video of somebody shaking so violently that they cannot stop, mm-hmm. and that is their new reality forever, mm-hmm. you really yeah. have no concept of what that data stands for. Yeah. You need to see it. Yep. America needs to wake up, and we need yep. to wake up in a big way. Jason, could I point out that's why I get graphic when I dis- describe what goes on in abortion, because you can talk about statistics and, oh, there's so many abortions a day, or there's so many vaccine injuries, and do you see pictures of the people that are damaged by the vaccines, right. hear their testimonies, and do you hear women that have been damaged by abortion and see pictures of the babies yeah, this been, is, it's this, not real this is not it's political not, spin yeah. this is not anti-vaxxers you know telling you that you're you're wrong mm-hmm. and you know i have family members i have a sister who's very on the fence she lives down in seattle she's in that bubble around the seattle you know um i-5 corridor and she has to work in the public school system and when i talk to her she's she's we've lost a family member on her husband's side, very young man, died from COVID. So it's very personal mm-hmm. to them. They saw the other side, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not denying that COVID is bad and it kills people. Yeah. But it's saying that that it's not a balanced equation. You know, it's not good versus evil and that vaccine is good and COVID is evil. It's evil is pervasive around us, all around us. And we must be equipped as individuals with the best information we have available. And we need to make our own choices with the consultation of a medical professional we trust. And that is our private information. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. that that with that information and that knowledge... Whatever action we take is the right action because it's our body, our choice. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the left only wants to talk about our choice, our body, when it talks about getting rid of lumps of jelly in people's belly mm-hmm. instead of children. Yeah. Because they don't want you to equate a child with, with, the, with, with the conversation because now that individual has rights. Yes. Exactly. And so the right to life, uh, and we've been speaking with Becky uh, Hinsberger, who is a board member on the uh, state board of directors for Alaska Right to Life and local activist. We welcome you to join her. Join us on Saturdays and have a great week, everybody. We'll be back here. I'm actually going to probably do a man-on-the-street interview with some of our activists here today. We'll publish that content as bonus content uh, later. And uh, thank you once again for joining us in this very stimulating venue and conversation. Have a great day.